So I was, um, I was challenged by Amy Doyd uh, a week or so ago. I said, I don't really know what to speak to. We've got sun- two Sunday evenings. I'm not sure what I to speak on. Um, you know, what shall I do? And she said, well, actually, Paul, she said, I really love what you did last Sunday morning. And it was quite, it was quite practical. There's lots of things to think about. So why don't you do something practical? And I said, well, I've just finished um, a chapter in the book called Go Sin No More. And she said, well, that sounds great. So I thought I'd talk about that. I thought about go and sin no more. I thought I can do that. I can offer practical advice because I don't sin anymore. I've kind of got it nailed. I'm pretty much in a state of sinless perfection. And it reminded me of a story that I read about Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher who said that he met a woman once that said she had reached the level of sinless perfection. So then somebody stood on her toe. He didn't say who. He said somebody stood on her toe and her sinless perfection evaporated instantly. Sinless perfection, it would be nice, wouldn't it? But, um, but we're not going to get there. We're not going to get there until Jesus comes back. However, there is some work to be done in the meantime. So as I open my, uh, my notes, yeah, so if, um, if you feel condemned, if you feel convicted this morning, or this evening even, you can blame uh, Amy. I don't think she's here tonight, she's away. So, uh, so when you see her, you can blame her. I want you to think about uh, John chapter 8. At the beginning, verses 1 to 11, uh, I'm not going to read from it. I just want to talk about it for a moment. We have this woman uh, that's been brought before Jesus. There's a, a group of men, no doubt, that have brought this woman before Jesus and said, Master or teacher, we have found this woman in adultery. They were trying to catch Jesus out because they knew that the law said she should be stoned to death and they were trying to catch Jesus out. So they brought this woman before Jesus. And as we read it, I think Jesus is either drawing in the sand or he starts to draw in the sand as they're talking to him. And when they finish, he stands up and he looks at them. And he says, whoever is without sin can cast the first stone. And in my version it says, and the older ones, perhaps the wiser ones, the ones that maybe have done a lot more sinning, started to drop their stones and realized that they were in no place to judge someone else because of the sin in their own life. But then Jesus turns to the woman, interestingly, and says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. So if there's no condemnation for Jesus, why does he need her life, leave her life of sin? If what she's done, I'm not going to condemn you. Why does he need to stop? Why does he need to leave it? If we're in Christ and we're forgiven of our sins, and we know that as sin abounds or as, as sin increases, so grace abounds, so grace grows as well. The more we sin, the more grace we get. If we know that, why do we need to worry then about sinning? just made me think because God's grace never runs dry we know that don't we it's constantly flowing from the throne room of heaven God's love and God's grace yeah Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery to leave her life of sin so why why does he do that because sin has consequences sin has consequences it damages us it damages our families our communities and it damages our relationship with God it's been an ongoing problem Since Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 to now. It came to them and it stays with us. So we've been forgiven. How do we leave our life of sin? How do we leave it? How do we fight it off? Have you ever got a bit of sticky tape on your hands and you just can't get it off? No matter what you do, you can't get it off. And you have to say to somebody, will you take that off me? Will you take that off my hand? Sin is like that. Unless we deal with it, when we try and deal with it ourselves, it can become very tricky. We need somebody else to come and take it from us. And that is exactly what Jesus does. He says to the woman, I condemn you no more. You're no longer condemned, but go and sin no more. 
So I want to read you a passage, uh, the passage I'm speaking from mostly tonight, and that's Romans 6. It's all of it. It's, a few, it's about 20-odd verses, so I'm just going to read it to you now. So this is entitled, Dead to Sin, Alive in Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we, could, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. It's a long passage. There's a long passage, but there are two main themes that I've just read in there. I don't know if you thought about it, you hear these words a lot. But the title in the, in the Bible even of, the, of this chapter says, Dead to sin and alive to Christ. We are dead to sin and we are alive to Christ. This week I want to focus on we are dead to sin. Next week I want to look at we're alive in Christ. So we're dead to sin, we've departed that life, but now we've got another life in Christ. Now, I want to assure you, this is not a will to you sinner's sermon. I'm not going to beat you over the head with what sin is and 
what you should do and what you shouldn't do. That's between you and God and your hearts, and the Bible is quite, quite clear on it. But instead, I want to look at the nature of sin, the consequences of sin, and how we beat it and leave our life of sin if we truly are dead to sin. So Paul starts with um, saying, what should we say then? So this is in light of something else. And if you go just back to the end of chapter 5, the last couple of verses, he said, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what Paul starts to address here is a belief that some people had that it was okay to sin more because God got glorified more. The more I sin, the more I have to, have to ask for forgiveness, the more God pours out grace on me, and the more God is glorified. So the more I sin, the more God is glorified. This is what some people were believing, and Paul said, no, it doesn't work like that. This is, yes, it's true. In essence, that's true. The more you sin, the more God will be glorified. But that's not the point. He said, that's not what I'm talking about here. We're talking about the fact that we are dead to sin and we should no longer live in it. It has no hold on you anymore. Sin has consequences. Whether we're forgiven or not, whether we get grace or not, sin has consequences. I was thinking about that story. Do you remember about the American diplomat or the wife of an American diplomat that knocked over his son on his motorbike and, and he died? And she pretty much got away with it. She pretty much got away with it. So you could argue that she was forgiven because she had diplomatic immunity. She was never going to be charged. She was never going to go to prison. But the sin had consequences. Someone died and their family would be in grief forever. But she thought she would get away with it and she has. In a, in a funny kind of way, that's what it's like with God. Even when we sin, we're going to not get away with it because Jesus paid the price. There's always a cost. There's always a consequence to our sin. But we will always be forgiven. That's God's promise. We will always be forgiven and he will always pour out his grace on us. So in effect, we get away with it. But because Jesus paid for it. And so Paul is saying we don't want to fall in this trap of I'm going to get away with it. Jesus has paid for it. Grace is enough. I can just sin whenever I want. He said no. No, we are dead to sin. It no longer has a hold on us. In Romans 6, Paul uses dead, death or died 17 times. In that passage, he's clearly making a point here. We are dead to sin. But he uses the words live, life, and raised or resurrected 14 times. He's clearly contrasting two things here. That we are dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ. There is an old life and there is a new life. You need to let go of the old life and start living in the new life. We need a different life. So when, when you become married, life changes completely. From the life of a single man to becoming married, my life changed overnight. It was quite significant. I didn't live the single life anymore. I was now a married man. And it's a bit like that with sin. We could say sin has no hold of me. Sin has no part in my life. When I became a Christian, when I died through baptism, and when I was risen again and I live in Christ, sin has no part of my life. It doesn't belong here anymore. And to just to hammer the point, for some of you that are a little bit older maybe, just got a short clip to hammer this home. Alright. Yeah. Terrific, Rogers. Oh. I am exhausted. Yeah, you look a bit cream crackered. <laughs> what is the executive stress, is it? Oh, it's that bike. <laughs> the wheels hardly go round, the chains come off twice, and the front light don't work. Where'd you get it from? 
I don't know, it's been in the garage for years. What's the tea? No, I've got no idea. Can I say something to you, Rodney? Something that may hold you in good stead in the, you know, in the future? Yeah, go on in. It's just a... Oh. Well, how can I put it? You don't live here no more. <laughs> Just like Rodney had become so comfortable to living in one place, we can become comfortable with the sin that we used to live in our life. We become comfortable with the old life. And we have to remember the sin doesn't live here anymore. We have to remember the sin doesn't have any place in our life anymore. And you can tell it that. You can tell it that. You say, you don't live here anymore. You have no hold over me. You're not welcome. Somebody else has got your room now. You don't live here anymore. The Holy Spirit is in your bedroom. You don't live here anymore. You're not welcome. Paul tells us that death in Christ frees us from sin. That when we died with Christ in baptism, we are free from sin and it should have no hold on us. But Paul himself says, he's telling us this, Paul, but he says, but I struggle with this too. I struggle with it. And he says this in Romans 7, verses 15 to 20. This is Paul speaking. Bit of a tongue twister. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil... I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. If I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Why did Rodney go home the first day after he got married? Because that's what he was used to. That was the pattern of his life. He finished work, he finished his day, and he went home to live with his brother. That's what he was used to. Paul is saying here, I still do the things I don't want to do. I still do the things that I know are wrong, but I I still do them. And there's things I should do that I don't do. And he wrestles with it. This is the Apostle Paul. He teaches pretty much most of the stuff in the New Testament. Teaches everything we need to know about the Christian life. He says, I struggle. I struggle with sin. It's so hard. I'm often doing the things that I shouldn't do. It's because it's programmed into us. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin has abounded. And it has become part of our lives. And we are constantly trying to shake it off if you imagine a bit like um, a computer with two different operating systems it's putting a new one on well the old one is still in there sometimes they're going to fight each other it's going to be it's going to be difficult I remember I spent 22 years in the navy and they do things a certain way and you have to do those things a certain way if you want to get by and I remember one one of the things was was issued daily orders every day there was a set of orders from the beginning of from eight o'clock in the morning until midnight, this is what was going to happen. Well, actually, till 8 o'clock the next morning. This is what's going to happen. This is when you have breakfast. This is when you have dinner. This is when you have tea. This is when you have to be at that meeting. That's when you have to be at that meeting. And I just knew where I was all the time. He just did what it said. And then I married my wife. And those of you that know her, 
know that structure is just something she does not live with. She loves to live on the fly. And I love that about her. She just rolls with the punches. Anything that comes her way, she deals with. Anything that just comes out of the blue, she deals with it. With me, I go into meltdown because that's not what it says on a bit of paper. That's not what it says should happen. But what I'm trying to get across, sorry, what I'm trying to get across here is that you get indoctrinated with life. When you get used to patterns, when you get used to doing things in a certain way, it's really hard, really hard to shake off. There's a story that Simon Ponsonby tells about um, uh, oh, sorry, a communist ministry. He wasn't communist, but he worked in the communist bloc. That's, that's where he grew up in, in communism. And he was a, a missionary. He was a minister telling people about Jesus. And he was constantly being persecuted, threat of being thrown into prison. And he used to hide from the law all the time. And he was in the UK. He'd, he'd left the communist bloc. He was living in the UK. And every time he saw a police car, he would freeze. He would start to try and hide. He would... He would just changed. It just affected him so badly. And what Simon was saying was this guy just could not shake it off. This is something he'd lived with his whole life. And even now, when there was no fear of persecution from the police, even then the sight of a police car would send him into withdrawal. And it's this pattern in our lives that can do the same to us. There are triggers in our lives from the past, from the old life, that rear up sin in our head because we're used to it. Sometimes it's even comfortable. When we spend a long time doing something, it's hard to shake off. It's the power of habit. You know, when we talk about spiritual disciplines and we talk about reading our Bible, we talk about praying and we talk about silence, coming to church, being in community, to do those things. And when you do them enough and enough, they become a habit and you haven't got to think about them anymore. But unfortunately, the reverse is true with sin. When you spend so long doing it, it forms a habit and that habit needs to be broken. That habit needs to be broken. When you spend so long doing something, it becomes part of who you are. But we have died to sin. And Christ has set us free. Just want to read this to you from Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. See, God gives us a way out. He knows that our old life is full of sin. We were deserving of wrath, but God gives us a way out. He gave us Jesus. He gave us Jesus to pay for our sins that we don't need to sin anymore. Yet we see from Paul and others and our own experience that sin is ever present in our lives. It's ever present. And it's a problem that we're plagued with. But do we need to succumb to it? Do we need to give in? Wow, I'm going to be forgiven anyway. Oh, God's grace. It'll be okay. Do we need to give in? Or do we need to fight a bit harder? See, Paul believes... The Apostle Paul believes that not only should we hear in John 8, I don't condemn you. It's very easy to hear that, oh, I don't, I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. There is no condemnation for those in Christ, so I can probably keep on doing it and I'll get away with it. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But Paul says we shouldn't just hear that, but we should also respond to the grace of Jesus and the fact that he says, go and sin no more. We should be so grateful that we're not condemned, so grateful for God's grace. But when he says, go and sin no more, he means it. And there's a reason for that. 
It was not that Paul thinks we're unable to sin. Paul doesn't say you're unable to sin, but he does think we're able not to sin. He thinks we're able not to sin. So when you come to Christ and you give your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence within you, there is something incredible that happens, but unfortunately it's not, you just stop sinning. It doesn't happen like that. Free will is free will is free will. The same free will you were given to choose Jesus is the same free will you have to continue to follow him or to continue to sin. So it's not this magical wand that's waved over us and suddenly we're holy and we don't do anything wrong. That battle still belongs to us. It's our choice whether we sin or not. It's whether we choose to be grateful and listen to go and sin no more. So I want to talk to you about the, the nature of sin. I want to talk to you about the consequences of sin and how we deal with it. I'll try and speed this up a bit. So in Genesis 4, verse 7, again, right back at the beginning, we're told sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. So sin isn't just a, a word. It's not a thing that's out there. It's not something we need to avoid, you know, not be naughty. Sin is crouching. It's waiting for you. It's trying to trip you up. And we'll talk about why in a minute. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's like I said, it's out to get you. It is out to get you. From the moment you wake up, this is why... Uh, a good friend of mine once said they don't let their feet touch the floor. When they wake up in the morning, they don't let their feet touch the floor before they have communion with God, before they pray with God. But sin is crouching at your door. It's ready to have you. In Revelation 12, verses 10 to 12, it talks about the devil. It talks about the accuser of the brothers and sisters. That's what he does with sin. I'll come on to that in a minute. He is, the devil is the agent of sin. He's the accuser of the brothers and sisters. He gets you to sin, and then he gets you to feel bad about it. And then when you feel bad about it, you want to stay away from God. That's what he does. If you come to the end of that passage, this is Revelation 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is here, and he is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. The devil has one goal in life, because he knows he's beaten. He knows he is beaten and he cannot win. The victory belongs to Christ. We need to know that too. We need to remember that. But the devil will do anything he can. Satan will do anything he can between now until Jesus returns to, to separate as many people as he can from God. Whether that's to pull you away from God or to stop people from getting to God, that is one and only aim. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that, that sin is crouching at our door and it's out to get us. However... God has given us a way out. He has given us a way out of this. Sin was birthed by the devil. And like I said, he's now its agent and his greatest promoter. And we'll look at the consequences in a moment. Sin is sneaky, surreptitious, it's sly, and it's stealthy. Has anybody ever sinned and then there's a red light going off saying, no, you've just sinned, you've just sinned? Or is it just something really quiet that just sneaks up, hits you on the back of the head, and before you know it, you feel terrible? Sometimes... We do it on purpose, if we're honest. Sometimes we sin and we know it and we think, but I want to do it anyway. That happens. But more often than not, sin is just that sly, creepy, bit like a snake funny old thing that comes up and it bites you. But while sin was a result of a bad decision to come away, for God's, come away from God's plan for us, it's now used by the devil to keep us away from God's plan and all that he has for us. And that's what we're going to look at the 
the consequences. The consequences of sin. It damages our relationship with God. God's love, as we said earlier, and God's grace is constantly being poured out from the throne room of heaven. It's being poured out on you. But when we sin, it's almost like we just pop up a little umbrella. It's still coming down, but something's not right. Something doesn't feel right. The relationship with God is not quite right. You know, if you've got a close friend or you're married or you've got children and, and you fall out with them, things get a bit frosty. Things get a little bit kind of uneasy until you put it right. But this is a beautiful thing. This is the way out is we put it right. We go to God and say, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry I've upset you. It's called repentance. I'm really sorry I've upset you. See, the, the trouble is a lot of us think that repentance happens once and that's when we get saved. But repentance is that's our way out every day. Is when we do something wrong is go to God and say, I'm really sorry. I'm really God, sorry, God. I've messed up and I've come out from under your will. I've kind of ignored what you wanted for me. I've ignored your best for me. And I'm sorry. I want to put it right. That's where God says, oh, there's some more grace. There's some more love. I love you. The frostiness is gone. But if we don't do that, things can grow. Things can spread. And we tend to, like Adam and Eve, we hide. They hid from God. They used to walk with him daily in the garden, but then they started to hide from him because they know they've done something wrong. We get the guilt and the shame where the hiding, the lying, and the avoiding comes in. How many of us, how many of us, the moment you sin, immediately cry to God? Every time. Who does that? Fantastic. Fantastic. That's really great. There's a lot of us here that don't. And we sometimes allow that to fester. And you know with a wound, when it festers, it gets worse, it grows, it gets bad. And then it takes a lot of putting right. That's why we have ministry teams. That's why we have things like Freedom Encounters. Because things get so much sometimes. So let's just deal with it as soon as it happens. As soon as we know there's something wrong, let's go back to God. It renders us ineffective in the kingdom. Perhaps if you've, if you've got a gift, a spiritual gift, and sin comes into your life and you've not dealt with it, you sometimes think, oh, that gift has gone away or it's not really operated. I'm not really as effective as I used to be. It can be because there's something you've not realized that you're not dealing with. It's God's will that no one should perish, that no one should perish. In 2 Peter 3.9, I'm just trying to find this quickly. It tells us, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. I think I've written down the wrong reference here. Yeah, I have. That's because I'm in 1 Peter. Right, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to come to him, everyone to repent, everyone to overcome sin. We saw in Revelation 12, the accuser of the brothers and sisters, he accuses them before our God day and night. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So like I said, if we take, if we allow our sin to take hold, it damages our relationship with God and with others. Now next week I want to look at, I've not finished quite, but next week I want to look at what happens when we do overcome sin? What happens when we do spend time free from sin? What happens when we do press in to God? What does, does happen when we present ourselves to God and how our life takes off? How life with sin in it is very different to life without. So sin, how do we beat it? How do we leave our life of sin? We've already said repent. 
Repent. As soon as you know it's entered your life, as soon as you know you're struggling with it, repent. Take it to God. He says, come to me. Give me your burdens. Give me what you're worried with. Don't live with it. Don't fester. Don't carry it. Bring it to me. Jesus says in Mark 9, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to, with two hands, go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than to have two eyes, two eyes and be thrown into hell. Romans 6 that we read tonight says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Now, not for one moment am I telling you to cut your eye out if you look at the wrong thing. I'm not telling you to cut your hand off if you touch the wrong thing. I'm not telling you to do that. And that's not, not what Jesus was saying. He's saying, whatever you do, whatever it is that is causing you to stumble, whatever it is that's causing you to, to sin, move away from it. Either make it move away from you or you move away from it. Whatever it's causing you to do, whatever that may be. I was challenged, I told my children, I was challenged just this week. I started to watch Game of Thrones again because I love the story. I just love the story. I love the medieval nature of it. And I'm two series in, and I'm thinking, I really shouldn't be watching this, I don't think. But I'll leave that to the individual. That's not, it doesn't say that in the Bible. But God clearly said to me, stop watching it. It's full of nudity. It's full of violence. It's full of sex. Which, granted, I can fast forward. But he said, don't watch it. As good as the story is, he said, I've got a better story for you than this. Stop watching it. And so I spent this afternoon, as I'm coming to preach this to you again, deleting it. Deleting it all because I know it's not good for me. It's not good for me. So when I know it, cut it off. It's not my hand, it's not my eye, but it's something that will trip me up. So I've cut it off and I will not watch it again. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us every great and precious promise so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, which we'll be looking at next week, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So how do we get out of this life of sin? We've talked about repentance. Whatever sin it may be, whatever situation you find yourself in, repentance we think as Christians is a dirty word. If I need to repent, it's because I'm just I'm wicked. That's kind of it. That's it. We've done something wicked. We've done something that's not of God, and we need to go and repent. And it's not a dirty word. Don't stay away from it. Do it daily. Do it daily. There's always something. So repent and bring back to God. God is waiting for you. We've sung it tonight with open arms. Put practical things in place. I'm going to speed up now. I am coming to the end, I promise. Put practical things in place. I was reading a book, um, and it was talking about ministering to, to men, Christian men especially, that were really struggling with porn. And this minister said, I'm just so frustrated with the amount of men that were coming to me saying, oh, I really struggle with porn. He says, well, I'll tell you what, I've got this software. You sign up to it. Every device that you've got, your tablet, your phone, your TV, and it will, it will come through to my email. So if it's anything you're watching, anything comes, it'll come to me, me only. And I'll, I'll work with you with it. And he was so frustrated with the amount of men that said, oh, I've got an issue with pornography. But I'm not, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to sign up to that. We've got to want to stop it. If it's sin in your life, you've got to want to stop it. Jesus said to the man, the pool of Bethesda, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you want to stop sinning? Put things in place. Get an accountability partner. Get someone that will help you to stop these things, whatever it may be. With me, it's my kids. 
I used to suffer from road rage, that's getting better, and I just get road sarcasm. And I'm really sarcastic with the people that drive around me, but it's not good, and they pick up on it, and they hold me accountable to it. And again, I'm trying to get better. Holy Spirit warnings, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't stop your hand from reaching for something. It doesn't shut your eyes, stop them from watching something, but it will tell you, like me with Game of Thrones, that there's something you shouldn't be doing. Listen to him. Listen to him. It's better to listen than fall off the edge of the cliff. Listen to the Holy Spirit and the truth of the word of God. The more you read the manual, the less chance there is of you screwing it up. Anybody got a new bit of kit in their home, they didn't read the instructions, and they've broken it. It's quite simple. Read the word of God. Digest it daily. The rules are in there, but they're not rules so you can't do anything. The rules are in there so you can do something. You can live a life free from sin and closer to God. Lastly, I just want to finish with this. I don't even know what my next page of notes says, but I'm stopping here. Who are you listening to? The other theme in Romans 6 said we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. When you're a slave, you have to listen to the master. You have to do what he says or the consequences are severe. But what voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the master of sin? Or are you listening to the master of righteousness? What's the loudest voice in your head? Hopefully it doesn't sound like that. You don't need to listen to the master of sin anymore. When the master of sin comes calling, he says, oh, Paul, go on, turn it back on. No one's at home. You can watch it. No, no, no. Don't listen to that voice. I'll listen to the master of freedom that says, Paul, you've been set free from sin. You are dead to sin. You don't have to have sin in your life anymore. Come with me. Be alive in Christ. Be alive with me and listen to my voice. And I'll ask you tonight, who is your master? Who are you a slave to? Are you a slave to the old self and the old sin? Or are you a slave, controversially, are you a slave to God? But that's what the word says. Are you a slave to God? So when God speaks, we're obedient. Or when sin speaks, are we obedient? Who are we going to be obedient to? You think of that clip with Rodney. His master was his old life. His master was his old life and he couldn't help but go back to it. But if we start to listen to the master's voice... If we start to read the master's rule book, it's better than any other rule book. He's the most benevolent, loving, grace-filled master that you could ever meet. So if you want to be free from sin, ask yourself, who am I really serving? Whose voice am I listening to? So I'm going to ask you to stand a moment. I'm going to give us an opportunity. We're not doing communion tonight, but it gives an opportunity to to give our hearts back over to God. If there's something in your heart, I'm not going to ask you to come. This is one of those moments when you ask people to come forward and have someone pray with them. They're like, I don't, want to, I don't want to share what's going on in my heart. But there's one person here that does want to hear from you, and that's Jesus. So why don't you stand with me? I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. We're going to sing a song in a moment with some good words that we'll hopefully start to end our evening with. But I just want to ask you to think about who your master is, who you're listening to. Do you recognize the voice of God? Do you speak to him enough? See, it's not enough to engage in sin avoidance. That's not enough. 
You imagine walking over a tightrope over a great big pit. There's a rope going from one side to the other. And in the bottom of the pit is all the sin that you've ever engaged in. It's everything you've ever been involved in. It's the old life, the thing you don't want to get back to. But you've got to get from here to there, across this tightrope. And you've got, your, you've got your stick and you're walking across. What's the worst thing you can do? Look down. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. Don't entertain it. Don't think it was even there because you are dead to sin. For you, it doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't need to exist anymore. Don't look down. But what do you look at? You look straight ahead. You fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and the finisher of the faith. You fix your eyes on him and don't engage with the sin. It's not enough to just not look at the sin. The next step is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the master. So I want to ask you this evening, who is your master? Have you been listening to the master of sin? Is there sin in your heart this evening? Is there sin in your life this evening? I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to tell you off. I'm here to encourage you to give it to God. I'm here to encourage you to repent this evening. But similar to that prayer that we, that we all prayed when we came to Christ. It's a very, very similar prayer every day of our life if we want to repent. So just take a moment to think, whose voice am I listening to? Has the Holy Spirit been challenging me over the last few hours, days, weeks, months, over something in my life? Is it something I should be dead to? Is it something of the past life? So we're going to pray in a moment. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray this with me. Pray it in your heart. Pray it in your head. Lord God, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. And I thank you that you rose to life. I thank you that you allowed me to be buried with you and to be risen with you. I thank you that I am now dead to sin. But Lord, I bring before you the things in my life that I know shouldn't be there. The things I'm engaging in that I shouldn't be. The things that I know are stopping me from getting close to you. Lord, you know what they are. And I ask you to take them from me. And I ask for your forgiveness. I want to listen to your voice. You are my master. I want to be alive in Christ. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.